Dear Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for moms, for their sacrifice, for the way that they always put uh, others ahead of themselves. Lord, I pray that you'd bless them, bless their lives and bless their families. Lord, they have been nothing but a gift to us, and I believe a beautiful representation of who you are to us, as they have loved us unconditionally, and they have always believed the best in us, and they have never given up on us. So, Lord, I pray that they know that in this place that they are honored, that they are valued, and they are cherished. And I pray, God, that their family would just absolutely spoil them. And, Lord, I pray that they would know how much you love them and how much we love them as well. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm so glad that you guys are with us today. We're going to start this little service a little bit differently than we normally do. I'm going to do a David Letterman top 10. Now, this kind of ages me a bit. Some of you young people are like, who in the world is David Letterman? That tells you you're getting old when you don't know who David Letterman is. I, David Letterman was big when I was in college. Does anybody remember David Letterman? Just put your hands up real high. You're old like me, aren't you? That's what you are. You're just old like me. We get in college. We late night watching TV, eating pizza. David Letterman top. 10. That was the best. Google it, you young person. You'll get a kick out of it, all right? So this is the top 10 things that you will never hear a mom say, all right? So drum roll, please. Top 10 things you'll never hear a mom say. Number 10, don't worry about curfew. If you're with your friends, I know you're all right. Number nine, you know, when you get right down to it, I am your cleaning lady. Number eight, just because you live under my roof doesn't mean you have to listen to everything I say. Number seven, got to be careful in the first few rows, I'm telling you right now, it's wicked cards. Number seven, just because you were too sick to go to school today doesn't mean you can't hang out with your friends now. The number six thing you'll never hear your mom say, if you can't say something nice about a person, text it. <laughs> number five, I'm not doing this for your own good. I'm doing it because I feel like it. <laughs> number, <laughs> number four, you know I really do care who started it. And yes, you have my permission to end it. I'm getting better, aren't I? Number three thing you'll never hear your mom say, don't worry about going to church. You were out too late last night. Number two, don't clean your room so often it makes the rest of the house look bad. And the number one thing you'll never hear your mom say, Timmy is telling his mom that he's staying here, and you're telling me that you're staying at Timmy's works for me. <laughs> now the young people are like, I'm not Googling. It's not worth it, really, to be honest with you. After watching that, it'll look as Friends, there are some things only a mom can do, right? Only moms know who's up in the middle of the night based on how they shut the bathroom door. Isn't that amazing right there? Only moms have the ability to make a hamburger helper without the hamburger, which is pretty impressive as well. Only moms have the ability to fix what is broken on the kitchen cabinet after the dad 
has tried to fix the kitchen cabinet. And then she also has the ability to fix his broken ego once he finds out that she fixed the broken cabinet. Broken shoelaces, broken heart, breaking out on your face, breaking up with your boyfriend or girlfriend. Moms can handle that too. I read this poem this past week. I love it. Listen to this. It's called Mom's What's It Like. Mom, what's it like when you felt that foot within your womb? When the infant cry first filled the room? To think that you in heaven just circled the moon. What's that like? And the day the bus pulled to a stop and you zipped the jacket up to the top and placed a kiss on a five-year-old's cheek and waved goodbye, then saw the trike, silent and still. What's it like? What's it like? The first time you noticed his voice was deep. The first time she asked if you were asleep and wanted to know when love was real and you told her, how'd you feel? Then the candles were lit. She came down the aisle. Did you weep? Did you smile? And when your child with child told you the news, and in the quiet of the corner asked for clues, Mom, she whispered, what's it like? What you told her, would you tell us? Indeed, what was it like? Moms, thank you for all that you do for your families and for this church. I hope that you have a phenomenal day. And when they take you out to eat, if you go out to eat, you need an appetizer and a dessert because you deserve it. Let's hear it for the moms, would you? Well, today we are continuing our little series called Greater Than, and today I want to talk to you about having a greater life than anything you've ever dreamed or imagined. God has a greater plan for our life than anything we've ever dreamed or imagined. Now listen, his plan for your life is not about surviving. It's not about making it day by day or week by week or year by year. It's not about success. That's not God's plan for your life either. God's not real interested whether we live out the American dream or not. But what God wants us to live more than anything else is he wants us to live a life of significance. And we're going to look at a passage of scripture today from the Apostle Paul. And of course, you guys know who he is. He's the one who God used on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to write almost half of the New Testament. He's the greatest missionary to ever walk the face of the earth. And he has the secret sauce. He shares for us the secret sauce of how to live a significant life. And as you evaluate as we go through this, because I've done this all week long, and I'm thinking, Todd, I've got, I've got such a long way to go to living the significant life that I know that God wants me to live. I want you to evaluate where you're at, what's missing, and then start changing the trajectory of your life to living for significance rather than the other stuff of this world. Let's look at the passage of Scripture together. It's a little confusing. Colossians chapter 1, starting with verse 24. Paul writes, I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my body what is still regarding in regard for Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present you to the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that's been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end, 
I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. All right, you want the special soft to live in a life of significance. Three things that you got to understand. The first one is this. Write this down. If you want to live a life of significance, you must be willing to pay any price to advance the kingdom of God. Not to advance your kingdom, not to build up your kingdom of mud that's here today and gone tomorrow. No, it's all about the kingdom of God. It's living your life for the kingdom of God. Can we be honest for just a second? It's quite possible, isn't it, that we don't ever live our life for the kingdom of God. It's quite possible that we spend our whole life trying to make our name great rather than his name great. Isn't that true? And it's quite possible that we can spend our whole life accumulating more and more and more stuff that just ends up being the highlights of our garage sale five years from now, right? I was looking at a TikTok the other day, and it said, this is what your life was like in the 80s. And I thought, all those things, all those pictures that they showed, those were things I grew up with in the 80s. And now all those things, nobody cares about them. There's new technology. There's new ways to do all that stuff. And I remember my parents sacrificing for all that stuff, and none of it lasts, does it? And so we got to ask ourselves, what am I living for? And what am I willing to sacrifice for the kingdom of God? This is already deep stuff, isn't it? I mean, this is already challenging stuff because many of us, we're just living to fill our garages. And if you've got a three-car garage, you fill that up and then you get yourself a storage container because it's a billion-dollar industry in the United States. We just want to accumulate and get more and more and more and more and more so that we can throw it away or sell it or fill a landfill and get something else that might fulfill us and satisfy us. So we've got to stop and we've got to ask ourselves the question, what in the world am I living my life for? Am I really, come on, am I really living my life for the kingdom of God? Am I really leveraging everything that I hope to be for something bigger than myself, for something greater than myself? Or has the trajectory, the the goal of my life become so low that I'm shooting for that which everybody else is shooting for? Could there be something greater? Could there be something more significant? You say, all right, Todd, you got my attention here for just a second. I don't want to live for temporary things, but what's eternal? What lasts? Well, ask yourself this question as I give you these three things. Because there's only three things that last forever. How are you investing in these three things? You ready for them? God lasts forever. He's the alpha and the omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is the first and the last. He was and always will be. He lives outside of space and time. So how are you doing in your relationship with God? How much time are you spending in a deep, intimate, personal relationship with God? God lasts forever. You ready for what else lasts forever? His word. The Bible lasts forever. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. So you want to make sure you change in the eternity, uh, your, your eternal view of how things are and living your life for things that matter The word of God will guide you. So God lasts forever. His word lasts forever. Ready for the third thing? People's souls. They last forever. Paul starts this passage of scripture and he says, I rejoice in what was suffered for you. What is Paul talking about here? He's saying, I suffered greatly so that other people could hear the message of Jesus Christ. And he did, didn't he? I mean, he got the snot beat out of him everywhere that he went because the message of Jesus being the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Son of God, the one who died and rose again from the dead, it wasn't very popular back in Paul's time. 
And people ridiculed him. People imprisoned him. There were two particular groups of people that didn't appreciate this message. One was the Pharisees. That was the religious leaders of the first century. They liked the fact that they had control over all of their people. And now this new guy comes into town. He starts talking about the fact that Jesus died for our sins. And that there's only one way to get to God the Father. And that's through Jesus. And that wasn't very popular at all. Because people were leaving their little congregation to go hear this brand new teaching. And they were losing power. And they were losing influence. And so what they want to do, they riled up the community, they riled up the authorities to try to get Paul beat down, try to get him in prison. They didn't like him at all, and they certainly didn't like his message. And of course, the Romans didn't appreciate anything Paul had to say either. He'd go in from town to town, and he'd start proclaiming that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Well, Romans didn't believe that. They believed Caesar was the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And anyone who proclaimed someone other than Caesar to be the king was a threat to the Roman Empire, threat to the Roman world. So under the direction of Nero, persecution broke out on the early church. These people who had just given their lives to Jesus Christ just years earlier all of a sudden found themselves in harm's way. And they lost, and they lost big, didn't they? If you know anything about church history, if you know anything about Nero and his oppression of Christians, that guy was one weird dude. He, he burnt the city down and blamed Christians for it. And now it was, a, it was just anyone, anyone who claimed to be a Christian, they were a target. And so he would go and he would have them arrested. He would have them thrown in prison. They would lose their livelihood. They would lose their homes. Many of them would lose their families. Many lost their lives. But they didn't just kill them. They came up with creative ways to make them a public spectacle. So that no one would proclaim Jesus as the leader and forgiver of their life. One of their favorite things that they would do is they would take Christians and they would sew them up in animal skins. And then during the intermission between gladiator fights where the Colosseum was packed full, they would throw a couple of Christians out there. And then they would release the dogs, the wild animals, the lions. And they would come and they would rip those Christians limb from limb. And people in the stands would cheer it on. And it was a warning. You put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You proclaim Christ as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's just a matter of time before you're in the next animal skin. Nero had many Christians beheaded. Just chopped their heads right off their bodies. That's how Paul eventually dies. Is his, he's beheaded. If Nero wanted to see his garden at night, that wasn't a problem for him. He just chose a Christian who he had in jail. And he would tie him to a stake and he would set him on fire. Paul is going from town to town, getting the snot knocked out of him. He says, you know what? I, re I rejoice in, in these sufferings. Now, you got to ask yourself a question. For this. Hey, Paul, what's wrong with you? Because when, when anybody says, oh, I was just rejoice with this. Just you know, hit me again. I mean, I'm going to date myself again, but it's like Rocky Three. Okay, Rocky Three. Remember Rocky Three? Rocky Three, Mr. T. Remember that, Clubber Lang? Rocky three, Rocky gets in there and he gets the snot knocked out of him by Clubber Lang. So he fights, he gets himself trained up and ready to go for the second fight. And Apollo Creed helps him out, right? And so they get in there and they got this whole strategy and, and Rocky just throws the strategy away. He's just going to make Clubber Lang as mad as possible. He keeps grabbing him by the head. Come on, man, hit me. Come on, hit me, hit me. Come on, hit me, hit me. Come on, you ain't so bad. You ain't so bad. You remember that? You got to watch Rocky three. It's so good. Hey! So good. Wait, wait. Is that Paul? Go ahead, hit me. Hit me again, hit me. You ain't so bad. 
，因为什么 ？I think Paul would have rejoiced if the suffering would have stopped. If he had to spend another night in a prison cell, I think, I think they'd say that's pretty good. If he didn't have to get whipped again, if he didn't have to get thrown out of town, thrown into a pit, softball-sized rocks hurled at him, I think he'd be pretty excited about that, don't you think? What's he mean? I rejoice in my sufferings for the sake of Christ. He says, "Listen, I'm not rejoicing in the suffering for the suffering. I'm rejoicing in spite of it because I like the results of it. Because the more you beat me down, the more you make me suffer, the more you hurt me, the stronger the message of Jesus is proclaimed." Paul's attitude was, "I will surrender anything. I will sacrifice anything to advance the kingdom of God." I read a story this past week about a, a girl. She was uh, 13 years old. Her name was Rachel. She started walking around her house and, and going to school, and she was just fatigued all the time. And then she lost her appetite. And, and, and the parents grew very concerned. They're like, I don't understand what's going on. She's just, she's just tired all the time. She's lost her appetite. So they go, and they, and they get her checked out at, at the doctor's office. And they say, listen, we're going to run a series of tests. We're not liking what we see here. So they ran a series of tests, and they found out that that little 13-year-old girl had leukemia. The parents were absolutely devastated. And, of course, I don't know all the treatment plans that go with someone who has leukemia, but she has to go through the chemo, the radiation, all the different stuff that's necessary to try to eradicate the leukemia from her body. And so she's just getting racked with this stuff, you know. And she's sitting one night at the dinner table, and she says, as a 13-year-old kid, this is what she said. She said, I don't know if God's going to heal me or not. He might want to just take me home. But I know this, that as long as I'm alive on this earth, I want to bring as many of my classmates as I possibly can to Jesus. That was her goal from that point forward. So when she went to school, she was a light in a dark place. She was the salt of the earth. And kids knew what was going on because word got out. And all the kids were just absolutely shocked at how this girl could just hold herself so high and have herself so together and never gripe or complain about her situation. In fact, every day it just seemed that Rachel was always concerned about other people more than she was about herself. And she had such joy. And she had such peace. And every day she prayed that she'd have an opportunity to advance the kingdom of God, that she'd have an opportunity to, to talk to someone about what a real relationship with a real God is really all about. And so every day she's sharing Jesus with her friends. Now she's 16 years old. And she's fading. And it's her birthday. And she looks at her mom and dad. Can you imagine this? And she looks at her mom and dad and she says, I know that ultimate healing is a going to depart to be with Jesus. But I so much want all of the kids that I go to school with to know Jesus the way that I do. I mean, this girl didn't get bitter. She didn't have any time for bitterness. She was going to praise him in the midst of the storm that she found herself in. So that night on her 16th birthday, she went up to her bedroom and she wrote a long letter to her classmates. And then three weeks later, she breathed her last breath and Jesus took her home. Well, a few days went by and the parents went to the principal of the school and they said, we're having a memorial service for Rachel. We would like it if you could announce to the kids that they can come. Everyone is invited. And the principal said, I'll do one even better. I'll give them an excused absence to go to the memorial service. So it was an auditorium like this, and it was just wall-to-wall -wall kids, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids. And the preacher got up there, and he read 
Rachel's letter. I'll give you a little excerpt. She said, Dear classmates, I told my parents that I was willing to die and go home into eternity if I could bring all of you with me. My Savior made a way for you to get to the other side. And then she shared how a person could give their life over to Jesus Christ. And when the preacher was done reading the letter, he looked up and he said, How many of you want to see Rachel again? How many of you want to give your life over to Jesus? And so they had an altar call, and kids just flooded to the very front. Now the question is, is how many of those kids are now going to grow up, and they're going to marry, and they're going to have godly families because of the influence of Rachel? And how many preachers and teachers are going to come as a result of, well, all because one princess heard her divine calling and wanted to be used even in the midst of her suffering, even in the midst of her pain. Paul says, listen, I, I understand that there's a heaven. I understand that there's a hell. I understand that people are going to one place or the other. So if you want to beat me, beat me. Do you want to make fun of me? Then make fun of me. I don't, whatever you want to do to me, that's what you're going to do. I, I don't care. I'm just here to reach one more person for Jesus Christ. So, so this is convicting, right? This is, this is tough because then we've got to ask ourselves some hard questions, right? If we're going to be honest with the passage, we have to ask ourselves some difficult questions. What are we willing to sacrifice for the kingdom of God? And maybe a better question is this. What have you? I, I look on my life and I, I don't know that I've sacrificed very much for the kingdom of God. I, like you, I think, I think we enjoy the kingdom of comfort a whole lot more. But to change our lifestyle so the kingdom of God can be advanced, to be more generous so the kingdom of God can be advanced, to say no to certain things that, uh, of this temporary world so that we can leverage our life for the things of eternal worth and significance. What have we really sacrificed for the kingdom of God? How have we moved out of our comfort zone uh, to advance something greater than ourselves? You know what I mean? I mean, many of us, we won't even serve in a ministry. We won't even honor God with a tithe. We won't, we won't even get into a small group where we can be encouraged by other people to grow in our relationship with Jesus so that we might live a life that has eternal ramifications. So just very few people live their life this way. And, and, and so we got to ask ourselves a question. Why did Paul live his life this way? What was his motivation? Why in the world would we even want to live our life in this way? Well, Paul gives us the answer in verse 25 and 26. Just write this down. Paul's motivation was his love for God. Paul felt like he was called by God. He loved God. Verse 25, I become its servant by the commission. That's the calling that God gave me to present to, to you the word of God that's fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for all ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. Paul says, listen, I, I, I just love Jesus. I'll sacrifice anything for Jesus. Now, why would he be willing to sacrifice anything for Jesus? Well, Paul says, listen, he loves me. He, he died for me. He, he took my sins away from me. He's forgiven me for every stupid thing I've ever done. He's preparing a place for me in heaven where I'll never have to deal with any of the stuff that I have to deal with in this world ever again. He, he's given me peace. He's given me meaning. He's, he's given me purpose. 
He's given me a reason to get out of bed that's bigger than some temporary fix or temporary paycheck or temporary possession. I get to live my life advancing the kingdom of God. Helping people who are far from God have a relationship with him. You see, here's the thing, friends. Christians should be struggling with these issues. We should be struggling with how do we leverage our life out of our great love for God. We should be struggling with how can I leverage my life and my time and my talent and my resources for something bigger than myself. We should be thinking about the things that we do, the places that we go, the work that we do. How do we leverage that for the things of God and for the kingdom of God? Years ago, a preacher was talking about leveraging your life for the things of God. And after the service, this woman came up, and she was a manicurist. And she said, i, I got to be honest with you. I, I just think that my work is just, just completely temporary from start to finish. People come in, men, women, I, I do their nails. And I'll be honest with you, I don't understand how eternally significant it is that someone's nails look good or the length of someone's nails. Now, you women might disagree with what I'm saying right now, but that's what she was saying, all right? That's what she was saying. Don't don't hate the messenger, okay? The preacher said something that just changed her whole life, changed how she did business. He said, so you're a manicure, she said, yeah. And he says, you don't understand how you can use that for the kingdom of God. She says, honestly, I don't. He said, well, you have a hold of their hands, right, for 20, 30 minutes. I mean, you're in close proximity with that person. Why don't you talk to them about the difference that Jesus has made in your life rather than talk about current events or the weather? I mean, where are they going to go? You have them by their hands. It's not like they can go anywhere. And they love you because they keep coming back to you. So these are people you have influence. And the greatest thing that's ever happened to you is your relationship with you. All of a sudden, we got a missionary manicurist. And she's having conversations now with people about Jesus Christ. Because it never occurred to her that she could bring Jesus to her job. Years ago, I was talking to a a friend of mine. And he said, I'm a... I do these motivational speeches. I go and I do these presentations. And I, and I travel the country and I, and I do them from place to place to place, town to town to town. He said, the rooms are always packed. Corporations sign up and we come in and we do this, this thing for them. He said, but at the end of the day, it's not scripture. It's not life-changing stuff. It's some good principles. But it's not going to change someone's eternity. And I just, I'm trying to figure out a way to incorporate Jesus into my presentations. But I don't want to be preachy, you know, because it's, you know, mostly people who have, you know, rejected Jesus, had a bad situation at a church, they don't want anything to do with it. And I don't know how to approach it. And I said, well, it's really, really quite simple. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, you introduce yourself at the beginning, right? The first session, you kind of tell everybody who you are. He said, well, yeah, I do that every time. And I said, you probably tell them about your family, right? Who your wife is, your kids are, tell a little bit about it. He says, oh, yeah, that's important that I do that. I want them to connect with me. I said, why don't you just add that the most important thing that's ever happened to you is your relationship with Jesus. And that if you want to talk to me about what that's all about, because it's changed the whole trajectory of my life, I'll be available at the end of the session. He said, I can do that. I said, yes, you can. He started doing it. He hasn't ever had a presentation in the past four or five years where he hasn't had a conversation with someone about giving their life over to Jesus Christ. All because he was just willing, because of his love for God, And because he wants to leave a legacy behind, and he wants to live his life for things that last, and there's only three things that last, God, his word, and people's souls, that's it. 
Everything else is temporary. Everything else is here today and gone tomorrow. And none of us want our life to be, you know, matter for nothing for all eternity. He just says, now I'm making an eternal difference. Here's what's interesting. Some of you go to your jobs every single day. Nobody at your work knows you're a Christian. Nobody, because you never talk about it. You've never invited anybody to church. You've never had a spiritual conversation with anybody else. Because for some reason, the most important thing in your life isn't what you're talking about. Paul says, I don't understand that. I've got to talk about Jesus. Why? Because we talk about things that we love. We talk about things that get us excited. Is there anything you love more than Jesus? Anything that gets you more excited than Jesus? Paul says, I've been called to share the mysteries of God. Guess what? We have two. Paul continues, chapter 2, verse 2. He says, my purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mysteries of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Did you get what he said? He said, I want them to have complete understanding. Paul desperately wanted people to... Do more than just have an encounter with Jesus. He wanted them to have a deep and intimate relationship with Jesus. He wanted them to develop. He didn't just want to get them to pray some sinner's prayer. He wanted to help them understand God's word and God's plan and God's will for our lives. So we got to stop and ask ourselves a question. Okay, this told you, Mother's Day, I'm, I'm going deep. Here we go. Ready? Who are you impacting? So I'm impacting my son, I'm impacting my daughter, I'm impacting this person. I'm, okay, okay, for Jesus. Who are you teaching about the things of God? Who are you sharing with the difference that Christ has made in your life and you're doing it on an ongoing basis as you mentor that person? Because you want them to have a complete understanding of what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Who, who are you helping along the way? I would not be where I am today if it wasn't for my mom. My mom poured herself into me spiritually. She prayed with me. She prayed for me. We spent many nights, many, many nights in the Word of God, studying the Word of God together. And most of the time I would ask her a question, and she didn't have a clue what the answer was. But we just kept on studying. And that made an eternal impact in my life. In my teenage years, there was a teacher named Mrs. Timmons who kind of took me under her wing, and she gave me her phone number and gave me the ability to call her about anything that I was struggling with. And between my mom and Mrs. Timmons, man, those two women impacted my life very, very significantly. And then God brought this pastor to our church, and I was really struggling. I was really struggling. And C.W. Scudder, probably the godliest man I have ever met, would spend an hour with me every Sunday morning before he came out and he preached. He'd spend an hour with me going over the word of God, praying with me, challenging me. I'll never forget the Sunday morning he looked across the table and said, Todd, have you ever considered that maybe God is calling you to preach? I had never considered that before until he spoke that into existence. It changed everything about me. I thought, do you honestly think that just maybe God might be able to use me in some kind of significant way to do something like that? But if he hadn't taken that time and poured the word of God into me, 
I could go on and on and on about people who come on, came alongside me and helped me to grow to full understanding. Who are you pouring your life into? And I'm not talking about teaching them how to cook or how to turn a wrench or how to throw a ball. I'm talking about things that matter, things that have eternal significance. Who are you there for in the highs and the lows, in the questions and the doubts and the fears? Who are you plunging into Scripture with? I'm going to say something that's going to shock a lot of you. You ready for this? If you've been a Christian for more than three years, I think you should be a small group leader. You say, I'm not ready for that. Well, why aren't you? You've been a Christian for three years. What's wrong with you? Pooper, get off the pot, man. Come on, let's go. Are you going to do something with this thing or not? Are we going to pour our lives into others or not? So I don't know enough. Well, where have you been for the last three years? You gave your life to Christ. I'm certain that you read the Bible. I'm certain that you pray. And according to Billy Graham, back in the good old days, Billy Graham said, for a person to be a small group leader, you have to be one step ahead of everybody else you're leading. So you don't have to be a super spiritual giant. You just got to be someone who is willing to be used by God. So... What about you? I will give you the people <laughs> to pour your life into. Why can't we ever get small group leaders? Because nobody cares about pouring their life into somebody else. Because it's not even on our radar. Because it's we're busy doing stuff that doesn't matter, stuff that doesn't last, stuff that doesn't count. Three things last forever. God is word in people's souls. That's it. That's it. And at the end of the day, friends, I think that's how we're going to be held accountable. What do we do with those three things? So you have this opportunity to be a difference maker, to leave a legacy behind. Now, now some of you are, uh, gosh, you're uh, brand new Christians. I am so excited. We, we have baptized so many people this year in the midst of a pandemic. Which means a lot of you are bringing your friends to come to church and they're hearing the message of Jesus. And I appreciate that so much. It's awesome. I spent almost two months this year putting together a new curriculum. It's, a, it's four classes. It's called Next. And what it is basically, it's the six distinctives of what it is to be a fully devoted follower of Christ. And then I, wrote, I did 20 videos of 20 devotionals because we want you to get in the habit, you new believer, of, of, of being in the Word of God every day. And these 20 devotionals are the 20 things that I wish somebody would have told me when I became a Christian. So when I sat down to put this together, I said, okay, what were 20 things that I wish somebody would have cared enough to pour into my life to make a difference? And so you can sign up for this. You can sign up to be a small group leader. It's super simple, 505-922-9200. That's all you got to do. And you say, well, what would I text? What would I say? You just say, hello. That's it. Okay. Because some of you are like, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I, I, do I write a long paragraph? No, just say hello. And then we'll say hello back. And we'll say, hello, my name is, and your, your name is. And then we'll find out why you, just hello. That's it. And if you call, just say hello. And that will be good. Okay? You know what I know to be true is we'll sacrifice and we'll surrender for things that matter and things that count. There was two warring tribes in the Andes Mountains. And one was the mountain people and one was the valley people and... Every once in a while, the mountain people would come down, and they would invade the valley people. They would take their clothes, take their food, burn their little village, and just drove the valley people absolutely nuts. 
Well, on one particular evening, in the cover of darkness, came the mountain people and the valley people were asleep and they just ransacked everything, but they ripped a baby from its mother's arms. And they just couldn't believe it. They just could not believe that the mountain folks came down and stole a baby. So they got all their best warriors together and they said, you know what, we're going to climb that mountain, we're going to get up there in the mountain people, we're going to get that baby back, we're going to bring that baby back home to its mom. And so they got themselves ready and they started heading up that mountain, but the incline was so steep, after three and a half days, they'd only made it about 300 yards up the mountain. And they were discouraged and, and, and they said, well, I guess we're not going to make it. And they said, the baby's probably already dead. So they said, they're going to turn around, they're going to they're head back. And that's what they were getting ready to do. But then in the distance, they saw a figure coming down the mountain. It was a woman. And as she got closer, they saw it was one of the women in the village. And she had in her arms a baby. And they stopped her. And they said, how in the world were you able to get up there and, and to retrieve the child? You were able to do something that all the warriors combined, all of our effort, all of our strength, we couldn't do it. What was different about you? And she looked at him and she said, it wasn't your baby. What do I know about you and what do I know about me? We'll sacrifice anything for what matters to us. We'll risk anything for what matters to us. So the question is, does the kingdom of God matter? Does God, his word, and people's souls matter? And if we say they do, are we reflecting that in the way that we live our life? God has a greater plan for your life than anything you've ever dreamed or imagined. But it has nothing to do with your kingdom of mud. It has everything to do with the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, help us to live our life for things that matter, for things that count for eternal things. Help us to never be satisfied to just become a consumer to where we sit here at home in the, this room, we soak it all in, and then we just split and we don't do a whole lot with it. You've given us life. You've given us influence. You've given us opportunity to leave this world in better shape than the way that we found it. Help us, God, to live for eternal things. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.